Who knew in the moment? The premise of the show is that as you're living your life, very rarely do you realize the magnitude of a moment while it's happening. However, in hindsight, we can see all of the pivotal moments that led to where we're at. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Friedrich, and today I am honored to have Andy Dane Carter with me. Andy is a real estate guru and entrepreneur in that uh, realm. He's running his own podcast. And something that really stuck out to me is Andy is willing to take his ego out of things to see the growth happen. And I think that's a very uncommon uh, characteristic. So Andy, thanks so much for being on today. 100% my friend and thank you for having me and you were spot on you got to park your ego if you're trying to really do anything. <laughs> yes so to start your story uh, Andy I want to talk a little bit about growing up um, didn't come from a lot of money came from also a divorced household so talk a little bit about those early years and just how you know that impacted you as a young as a young boy. Yeah sure so I've got you know a crazy story um, and the beautiful thing is so do we all, right? And it's all yeah. about like, it's just lessons and those lessons create a little more armor. And then hopefully when you're a little bit older, you're kind of good, but we we all have stuff and our stuff usually comes from somewhere between like birth and nine. Yeah. So there's, there's usually a lot of that stuff kind of frame us. And for me, it was my parents divorced when I was four and I was raised by a single mom. We struggled, struggled, we were poor, poor, poor. Um, we lived in a studio apartment. We didn't have a refrigerator. We had a cooler and we literally lived all in the same thing. So there was like a bunk bed and then my mom's little twin bed. And, you know, we did whatever we could to survive. Um, and it's crazy, but I wouldn't change one day of how I grew up. It yeah. created, you, you know, an incredible outlook it's made me be such a better dad today because mm. my kids see zero of how I grew up. Um, and I had to grow up fast. I had to like, you know, grow up fast and I had to see the world through a little bit of a different lens. Um, and then, you know, it just kind of framed who I was. It wasn't fun when I was in it, but I would not trade one second for it. Um, and then we struggled, we struggled, we struggled. And then, sometime around 12 years old, I was like, look, I need to start to like help my mom. How do I help? How do I provide? Um, so, so I went to work and, you know, yeah. there's all these stories around that. And then how I, you know, like I'm a terrible student. I got D's and F's. I'm severely dyslexic. I've got every kind of thing to like screw up with how I learn, but I'm a, I'm a grinder and like, I'm just yeah. going to work harder and figure it out. And I want to highlight that in, in regards to developing a work ethic, you know, I think that happens for people at different uh, phases of life and it happens for different reasons, right? Some people develop a work ethic because of athletics, some because of monetary reasons, some because of, you know, whatever it is, but a story that stuck out to you or to me about you. And I think it's just because it resonated so closely to me was there was a surf suit that you wanted to buy and if you were going to get it, you had to earn some money. So talk a little bit about, uh, you know, that story and what really was the catalyst for you to go get that job to get the surf suit. Yeah, it was a crazy story and such a pivotal point for me in my life. I mean, it yeah. really, it changed my entire trajectory. Um, 
And I got a lot of self-confidence really quickly from that. So we lived in like, like a poor zone in Long Beach. And my mom, she didn't want me going to high school in a place where, you know, it wasn't like, like it just wasn't the best school. So we moved over to the next city and she wanted me to go to junior high there and then high school. Well, there was a lot of people there with a lot of money. And I got kind of introduced to a whole different world and a whole different way that like, I mean, these were just rich kids everywhere. And so we were actually walking home from school one day and there was this unbelievable surf shop and there was this wetsuit in the window and it was, it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And it was 500 bucks, which might've been 5,000 and it was really expensive. And I was like, Oh man, I would do anything for that. Blah, 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 blah. And so my buddies showed up the next day at the beach and they both had that wetsuit. I was like, how did you, they're like, Oh, we just went home and told our parents. I was like, that's an option. <laughs> so, so I was like, I'm going to get this thing. So I literally went to all these different business owners and I'm 12, mind you. And I said, Hey, can I do anything to help out? Um, here's when like school gets out and I can work from this time to this time. And they all told me no and to beat it. You're a kid. <laughs> this one guy, sweet, sweet guy. Um, he owned a silkscreen company where like he made shirts and t-shirts and he's like, yeah, you know, if you come here and clean these screens for me, you know, you'll get 20 bucks. And I was like, yeah. unbelievable done. So I would show up there and I would take that 20 bucks and I would take it to the surf shop every day and give it to the guy. I'm like, I'll be back tomorrow. I'll be back. I didn't know how long it was going to take. I didn't even really register that. And then one day he's like, it's yours. And I've told this story 2000 times. It chokes me up every single time I tell like, it's just, it's such a pivotal piece for my life where it's like, I didn't need anybody. Like I can do this on my own. And it's not because I was forced to do it, but it was so empowering, you know, mm -hmm. and I balled the whole way home. I had this wetsuit, but I felt so accomplished. And then that lit such a fire under me. I was a tremendous athlete. So I had a really good work ethic there. And I was just willing to outwork anybody regardless. So it didn't matter if my school leader was going to line up. But that was in like 1990. If you didn't go to college, then you were just an absolute, you were a failure in life. Yeah. And so I was just like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to work harder than anybody and figure it out. But that really changed my entire dynamic. I love that story. Now, something that it also made me think of was, you know, you mentioned, hey, your mom wanted you to go to a different school. And I think about how tough that must have been for her because every parent wants to take care of their kids and give them the best life that they can have. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. And they also know that there is a comparison game, right? As much as people want to act as if there's no comparison, people are comparing. So talk a little bit about maybe as you reflect on that, just the humbleness, you know, of your mom to say, I, I want what's best for, for my kids, for Andy. Yeah, no, for sure. She, she knew that I was a really good athlete. And so I would have a shot, right? I would have a shot at the school. I would get way more looks. And, you know, it was her plan. Plus, she saw a lot of her friends' kids that were a little bit like, you know, three, four years older than me. They're all starting to get into trouble because you're a product of your environment. And my environment was not that awesome. Mm. Um, and she kind of saw the friends I had and she's like, 
maybe we should maybe we should make a move and make sure that you uh, you go on a different path. And I'm super grateful she did, you know. But at the same time, like it's it's just one of those things where she wanted something that could maybe be just like a little bit of a better shot. So she wanted to expose uh, myself and my brother to just like how some other people lived and there is a different way. Yeah, that's good. So you end up deciding to go to UC Davis. So talk a little bit about, you know, what went into deciding that was the school of choice and, uh, and your experience there. Yeah. So that was way later too. So my first schooling was to be a fireman. So like my whole, like, you know, life, I was going to be a fireman or I was going to be a professional baseball player. That was kind of my thing. Um, And so from high school, I went to Long Beach City College because they had an incredible program there to be a fireman, firefighter, all that stuff. And then you go through the fire academy and I was going at that. So why I was in that program, I was 19 and I was working at this restaurant in Seal Beach called Walt's Wharf. Beautiful restaurant, amazing wines, all that good stuff. I didn't know anything about wine um, except that there's pink, white, and red, you know? <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it was like my second week there at the restaurant, there was a wine tasting that went on and I like completely fell in love with the wine world and fell in love with wine, changed my career path. Seven weeks later, I was in Bordeaux, France, and I was going to, I was trying to become the youngest sommelier in the country. Yeah. One. And so at 20, I literally decided to go to school for viticulture to become like a winemaker. And I picked the best one in the country, which is UC Davis. And I went there. So it's, it's crazy. So like I have a degree in fire science to become a fireman and I have a degree in viticulture and enology to become a winemaker uh, that I don't use either of those. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So Within that, I thought that was interesting also, become a sommelier at 21 years old. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, once again, that, that's not an easy, um, we'll call it designation to get or title to get. Um, talk a little bit about just once again, I'm seeing a consistent theme of work ethic here that went into getting that. It's off the charts. It was very difficult. Yeah. And it's, so if you Google the hardest test in the world, that's the one that comes up. I mean, it, it trumps the bar exam. It's an insane, insanely difficult thing to pull off, especially at 21, yeah. just because you have to be able to look at, smell, and taste nine wines in front of a panel of 12 master sommeliers that have been doing it for decades, and you have to tell them what kind of grape it is, what vintage it came from, what part of a certain region within a country and it's and there it's it's either pass or fail you either know it or you don't yeah. it's extremely difficult and i was i was probably the youngest person in there by i don't know how many decades but it was a lot yeah. everybody's like what's this kid doing here <laughs> and only six people passed out of like 40 and i was one of them and when my name got called i just turned around and i was like what's up now and i'm on a t-shirt and jeans i mean i don't look like i should be in the room but it's a theme throughout my whole life, right? Yeah. As soon as I decide I'm going to do something, all the boats have been burned and I'm all in. I don't, I don't give myself an out. It's like, I'm going to accomplish this. That's it. I'm going to die trying. 
Absolutely. Now, my guess is you still probably have a love and enjoyment of wine. Um, mm. uh, give me this. What's one bottle that you're like probably best bang for your buck? And then one bottle that it's like, you know, if you're really celebrating something, here would be a good one to go to. Sure. So it totally depends on like, like the whole vibe, right? I'm a yep. big food and wine guy. Food really changes wine. Wine really yeah. changes food. So for me, I would say a, a tremendous value is like a Sauvignon Blanc. It's a very crisp, clean white wine, very diverse, goes with lots of different kinds of food, tastes great in the summertime, low alcohol. It's just, it's amazing. Um, and I really just like that grape a lot. And one of the sleeper grapes for me, as far as like a red categories, are red Zinfandels. Mm. You can get an amazing bottle of red Zin from here in California. Some of these vines are 120 years old. And they're a fraction of the price of these big Cabernets and other wines and other grapes that you'll get. So for me, I love finding quality and value together um, and then just pairing them with the right experience and the right food. There you go. Now, in 2008, a friend of yours says, you know, Andy, maybe you should think about getting into this real estate world. And uh, <laughs> interesting time to be considering getting into a real estate world. So talk a little bit about the, you know, how this friend came up with that idea and what intrigued you about it. Sure. So like, again, super weird situation. Um, and so leading up to that, so I was the youngest wine sommelier in the country and I owned multiple restaurants, sold them, and then went to go work for one of the largest wine companies in the country and went up the food chain really, really quickly. So I had my own sales team, I, like, you know, suit and tie every day. I'm doing these, I mean, wine tastings and wine events and selling, you know, millions of dollars and wine, all this stuff. Well, I got really burnt out. Cause I was, I was single. I, you know, had a huge expense account was out every night, put on like 65 pounds and I was just wow. unhappy. Yeah. I, uh, I just was not a happy camper. So I hit pause on my life and started teaching yoga and racing triathlons and stopped working completely. I got in really good shape, got really healthy, really happy. And I kind of got to spend some time with myself to figure out exactly what makes me tick. Like, what do I care about? What matters to me? And I got really clear on that. And as soon as I went through that process and burned through my entire life savings, it was pretty much at zero. A buddy of mine who was living with me at the time because his house actually burned down. Wow. Um, he's like, hey, uh, you're a smart guy. You've done multiple businesses in your life. You're really good at sales. Have you ever thought about real estate? Because he had this company and they were flipping houses, it's 2008, 2009, and the market's imploding. Um, and I was like, sure, I'll give it a shot. So I went in my backyard, I go into this deep meditation, I got this big bonfire, and I just asked a simple question, should I go into real estate? And I got a very clear yes, because I had a humongous job opportunity that was on the table, and I didn't really want to do it. Mm. And because it was kind of the same thing I was doing before, it was more of like a corporate sales team. I just, I didn't want to do that again. And so I got the yes. And then I went in there and I signed up for my real estate license. There was two other people in the class because no one was doing real estate at the time because the market just imploded. Right. Um, and everybody's making fun of me like, oh, the wine guy is going to go do real estate when 
like there is no market. And I was like, you'll see. Yeah. Now I want to highlight that because I think so many times people have a desire to transition, but they wonder, well, what are people going to think if I make that switch? What are people going to, are people even going to take me seriously? And opposed to letting that bog you down and say, no, I'm not going to go after something I'm passionate about. You said, Mm -hmm. you'll see. So talk a little bit about, you know, whether it's a mindset or, you know, the decision to do something and then be dedicated to it. Yeah. You like, you have to own your decision, good or bad. I'm a very spiritual person. Like, and I connect with God very, very deeply. I study lots of different kinds of religions. The same time I'm like, I like, firmly believe that there's a path and the path has a lot of different modes and you kind of get to choose that but for me i don't i don't really care what somebody thinks about me and or says about me if you think i'm in it it's this weird part of me prefers it because if you tell me i can't do it it's going to get me through those days that are hard and i'm i love shoving it in people's faces and i've been doing it my whole life and this was just another opportunity for me to show people I can literally go from fireman to like restaurant owner to, I, I, I mean, I can just keep going. If yeah. we, it's amazing what we can accomplish in two years, mm. it blows my mind what we can do in five and 10 years. You can go from dead broke to multimillionaire and fully financially free. But where people get stuck to your point, what's my mom and dad going to think? What are my grandpa? What are my friends? What am I? who who cares like yeah i could i could really give two shits about what your opinion is i appreciate it but it's usually coming from a place of either fear and ego or on the flip side it comes from a place of love like your closest family members don't want to see you fail or struggle so they try to appease like their opinions and their insecurities on you and i'm like i already got my own i don't need yours so stay out of my boat. I'll go ahead and row mine. Yep. I love it. And, you know, the other thing that I would piggyback on with that is I had uh, David Meltzer on the show and David talked about um, when he was starting out of law school, he asked his mom which job he should take. One was internet type stuff. And at the time, the internet was this new thing. And the other one was a traditional lawyer. And she goes, well, take the traditional lawyer route. He didn't. He said, I think this internet thing is going to go the right way. But, you know, he asked a question of someone that really had no knowledge of the industry, right? To your point, she loved him. She knew he, or he knew she cared about him, but the industry he was going into, she really had no perspective and knowledge. So he goes, honestly, I, I probably shouldn't have even asked her because the info she was going to give me was really irrelevant on the situation at hand. Very good point. And for all of your listeners out there, here's the deal. Learn this now or learn it the hard way, but do not take advice from anybody on any topic <laughs> that is not a legitimate certified expert. I don't mean like somebody who's on Instagram that says they're a guru. <laughs> I meet somebody who has a proven track record, somebody who's maybe like, you know, maybe like a best-selling author in, I don't know, the real estate tax codes. You can ask him or her tax questions about real estate. Don't go ask anybody else. Like, and everybody gets mixed up with that. And it's, again, it's so when you fail or something happens, you have an out. Oh, I should have listened to this person. Nope. You should have burned the boats but you should have given yourself enough runway to win. And that's where a lot of us miss. 
There's a new company that I started three years ago. I gave myself seven and a half years to be at the top. I didn't say I'm going to do it tomorrow. Like that's a clear directive. Yep. And we're on track. <laughs> that's good. Now, inside of real estate, there's a gazillion different ways a person can go, right? I can do, I can sell homes. I can sell commercial real estate. I can flip them. I can rent them. I can do multifamily, single family. Talk a little bit about what you got started with. Because once again, you're coming into real estate at a time where real estate was not this, you know, sexy, attractive thing. It was a big black eye, if you will. Yes, it was a humongous black eye. <laughs> so for me, just like like my entire life's trajectory. So like I was going to be a fireman. I, I learned everything I could. I was literally door knocking fire stations. Hey, can I hang out? Like, you know, whatever it takes. Same thing with the restaurant business. The first one I trained in every position in the restaurant with every chef, every sushi chef, every back, everybody. So I knew how everything worked. Um, and it was the same with real estate. It was my goal to speak the full language of real estate. Yeah. So I wanted to understand the investing side, the traditional side, you know, and the commercial, the industrial, the flipping, all of it. So I poured myself literally into that space. And at the same time, I'm like listening to audiobooks on these four and five hour bike rides. So I'm getting through an entire book written by one of the best investors in the world a couple times a week. Wow. So you can, and that was like way before all this stuff with YouTube and everything else. And like, I mean, podcasts have exploded the amount of high, like high caliber data you can extract from somebody's entire life experience in a couple hours is insane. So, yeah. and I'm just, I'm always willing to learn. I'm always coachable. I'm always willing to learn new stuff. And that keeps me in a really good position. Now, I think something that's, uh, you know, important to highlight there is there's a lot of, and I'm not saying you felt this way, but I can say this for a lot of people. There's a lot of nerves about starting something new. There's a lot of uneasiness. There's a lot of doubt. Am I making the right choice? But one of the things that can help calm that is if you just fully submerge yourself, right? Uh, opposed to teeter-tottering and being like, well, should I do this? Or maybe I should have done that and going back and forth. If you at least just go, hey, I'm full send. I'm all in on this. I'm going to learn as much as humanly possible. I think knowledge brings clarity and clarity, you know, re reduces anxiety. So talk a little bit about that for you, because you did do that. Yeah, well, there's only two things. You either learn or you win. Like, that's it. Yeah. Over and over and over again. And I stay real humble. <laughs> and I get my face kicked in all the time. But I am I'm so fearful of regret mm. that I would rather lose a thousand times than not try once. Mm. Like it's just, it, and it paralyzes so many people because of all those built-in belief systems from when you're a kid. And it's crazy because if like you want to jump off the couch and you want to jump onto the beanbag and your parents keep telling you no, you're dampening their risk tolerance as they get older. And I, I mean, there's a lot of kids that I see today and I'm like, your parents didn't let you outside. You were just... <laughs> and they're, they're trapped in these fears of making a decision where I will, I'm so decisive and I'm wrong all the time, but I'm unwilling to let it slow me down. I just, I go, I make a mistake and I learn and I, and I go and 
I make a phone call, you know, and I, you know, ask questions and like, you, I, I, and what's great is then you start to accelerate and meeting more people. I have such a massive network now. I have experts all over the world, you know, a thousand different industries. So I can call and be like, you know, David, like, here's what I'm thinking about doing. He's like, don't do that for sure. Here's what happened. When I, like, so that's what's so great about the internet and social media and podcasts is like, you can get the right answer if you're willing to do some time and work, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm so fearful of not like, you know, making a move. And most of the stuff that we do is branding and marketing. And that's an entire test-based industry. Yeah. You'll talk to the greatest marketing minds in the world that make hundreds of millions of dollars. And they're like, I don't know, test it. Like I would, I would literally hire these consultants and I'm like, so here's my ideas. They're like, I don't know, test it. I'm like, why am I paying you? They're like, well, because we can take the data from that test and see if it worked or not. Right now we have nothing. Yeah. So it's the same, it's the same in business. It's the same for like, like the gym or working out or like all this stuff feeds itself. Your personal life, your business life, your spiritual life, physical, like everything is connected. Yes. So as you're getting started in real estate, things are going well and you actually start um, buying properties and you have investors. And after you've been doing that for a little while, you end up deciding, I need to beat this Gary V guy. <laughs> so t- talk about that whole, uh, how that came that to be and reach it out. So yeah, so like, again, I'm in this pivotal place in my life. I've just had my second kid and I'm like, look, life is great, life is amazing but I know there's more out there. I know that I can take myself to the next level. Now I've got these two kids. They're going to look at me as the example. I've got this kind of like legacy mindset around all my stuff. And then I'm laying there. I mean, I was like, wasn't sleeping well back then at all. I still don't sleep all that great, but I was, I was on Facebook and Facebook and Instagram and this guy kept falling into my feed and he's like, I mean, he's cursing like crazy and so do I, you know, he likes wine and this, and I'm just like, oh, I'm like, I kind of jam with this guy's message. I like this. I like this. So like a few months go by and I'm like, how do I get in front of this guy? I see he has meetings at his office in New York. And then I start, I start to figure it out and I was able to find the person who's the gatekeeper. Then I wrote a check for 10 grand and I got a meeting with him and his team. So I fly out to New York because I'm trying to basically scale this whole thing. I'm like, I don't have a website. I don't have anything. I've done all this stuff, but no one knows who I am. Nobody yeah, except yeah. my little investors. So I was trying to grow a brand. I was trying to just kind of like put my name out there. And I'm like, he seems to be the best. Yeah. So I flew out with my film crew. We filmed everything and we spent three days there with him and Vayner. And it was, it, it was incredible. Um, and I stayed very close to Gary. He's still a very dear friend of mine. I call him and his CMO. They're, they're like, they're all buddies of mine. Um, but it was, a, it was a great experience. I literally just told him my whole story. And he's like, this is incredible. He goes, here's what you do now. You put out as much content as you can every single day for the next two years. Start a podcast, start a YouTube channel. I literally just follow the stuff that comes out of his mouth all the time. And he goes, and give away all your best shit for free. All the stuff that's like, like the secrets of the industry, give it all away. And I was like, okay. I just shut my mouth and did what I was told. And it worked. Now, I want to highlight that because I think that's been true in my life sometimes as well Is it's almost like, uh, I want to use the term dumb. I'm too naive to even ask questions. It's just like, hey, you're at a place that I would like to be. You seem to know your stuff. Like, 
I'm not even going to ask questions. Like there's a thousand questions running through my head, but you said it, I'm just going to follow it. And hopefully it works out for me. Right. Absolutely. Well, and that's where people get stuck. Yeah. They try to impede like their opinion on some masters already proven track record. Yeah. And all that is, again, that's ego. That's mm. just, I'm like, no, no, I just, I followed it. Yep. I still do it to this day. I have coaches in a bunch of different spaces in my life. They say, do something, I do it. That's it. I love it. Now, as you're having success, uh, you get invited to this event called the summit. And while you're there, you get to make a important connection uh, that leads to a business partnership. So talk about why you were at the event. I'm sure it's a certain accolade, but then also how the connection came to be. Yeah. So I was on Tom Ferry's podcast. His team had reached out. I was on his show and he was on my show. Um, and it's funny because like I was deep in the space of real estate, had kind of heard about his name before, but didn't really know all that stuff. And then when, and then when I was on his show, I just really jammed with him. I was like, Tom, you're an incredible guy. Like I just, I just really bonded with his energy. I liked him and we were very similar. Um, and it was just a great friendship that happened very, very quickly. And then he's like, Hey, we'd love to have you speak at the summit. I was like, cool. It's the summit, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I walk in and it's, like i mean it's like a tony robbins event there's you know thousands of people there and music it's three levels and all this stuff and i was just like what a crazy room these people have drank the kool-aid like they <laughs> they love this right and then so he has me backstage and i'm sitting down with all these like i mean crazy top producing agents in the country and the world and i'm just sitting there they're talking to me about this and that and investing and blah 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 and i was like so how does this whole thing work? Like you guys, real estate agents, you have a team or how does this whole thing work? We start talking and then I start asking, I'm like super direct. I'm like, well, how much did you make? Or how much did you make? I'm like, holy shit, this is real money. This is real. I go, this is millions of dollars. And I, and I was super burnt out on all this different stuff with investing. And I was just like, again, I like, we'll hit these pivot points. I'm like, you know what? I'm set, but I'm, there's still so much left in me. I want to, and I'm, I'm a grinder. I love working. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to build a little team and see what happens. And sure enough, it, it went and it's still going. Yes. And then, so I met Tim, yes. super good friend of mine. And I get a phone call from Tom and he's like, he's like, Hey, I was just talking to Tim Smith and we had a couple ideas and then so then we start like this whole thing starts going. And I was just like, it's funny, you guys, this time is perfect right now. I'm, there's a horrible business partnership that I'm in. I'm getting ready to basically end the contracts. Um, and so Tim was like, let's create a super team. Like, let's have you join the team and we'll just spread up and down the coast and you know, all this other stuff. And it was great. And like, he's still a dear friend of mine. We still do deals today. Um, we didn't quite make the team work with Coldwell Banker just because I'm not a real like big corporate guy and I was trying, but there's, there's just too many rules and compliance and all like it. Anyways, it's a long story, but had nothing to do with Tim. Yeah. Um, and then he has his team and I have mine and we still do a ton of deals together. And, we, and there's a couple of projects that we have going up here in Long Beach and yeah, he's a, he's a great dude. I loved him. Yes. So I want to talk about that though, because you know, it, when you just say the story and you don't dig into the meat of it, you know, a guy says, well, I'm doing really well by myself. And now if I join your team, 
once again, I got to suppress a little bit of ego, right? And I think mm-hmm. in in a world of sales or just, I mean, being an adult, there 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 can be that ego there. And sometimes that idea of like, well, uh, 50% of a larger pool is better than 100% of a smaller pool, but you have to be willing to bring your ego down to submit to that. So talk a little bit about, you know, taking ego out of it and making the right choice regardless of the ego. Yeah, for sure. And so for me, again, like, you know, Tim is wildly successful in his world. um, And he's got 27 years in the business, you know, crushing. And I've got at that time, like a year and a half with my little team. And I wanted to like, learn from the best partner with the best. How does this stuff work? I didn't, I mean, I didn't know. So, um, and so the plan was for me to like literally park my ego, but then have Tim use my name and my brand that I've created to create this like huge team of value and service. And he works with a lot of builders and developers and that's what I was. And it it just, it just all started to make sense. So he could use me to kind of leverage north of where he's at all the way to LA. And for me, then like I could leverage him in this great business that he built. So it was kind of a win-win for us both. Um, And there's not a lot of ego with myself and Tim. It's like numbers and math and service. It got a little dicey when like, again, it was like, it was the corporate veil um, that he was really comfortable with because he's been in it for so long. He doesn't know any different. When I've kind of seen around the corner and like, I just have questions about their splits and why they take so much and their actual value. Um, and so it just didn't work, yep. but it worked out way better. And it usually works out like that where it makes way more sense now because he's doing his thing. I'm doing my thing. We're still doing stuff together. Uh, but the actual splits and cuts are way better. Yes. Now, once again, you've kind of mentioned uh, the podcast, and then you also wrote a book. So talk a little bit about the book and and what brought that about. Yeah, so the book was like a passion project of mine, because again, was raised by a single mom. Yeah, we didn't have, you know, much. And when I first learned about this thing called 3.5% financing, and it's an FHA loan, and you can buy it duplex triplex or fourplex and it was really easy back then to do it's gotten a little more tricky now but it's definitely possible but i was in a meeting with all these lenders all of our investors and you know like all these business partners and there's this guy that's talking and he's like oh yeah so you can buy a duplex triplex or fourplex and you can use 3.5 percent financing and you got to live in one of the units and then then you could rent out the rest and was just like and then he just kept going about something else and i just raised my hand i was like what Hold on, what did you just say? Yeah, like you can buy a four-unit building and put down three point five percent as long as you just occupy a unit for two years and it's your personal residence. I'm like, why the fuck doesn't everybody do this? <laughs> why would you buy a house when this is an option? Right. And they're like, well, no one does. And I was like, well, that's a problem because like teachers and moms and dads and single parents like, and you can almost live for free. So why wouldn't you do that? Live there for two years, refinance it, suck out a hundred grand, then go buy a three bedroom, two bath house. Now you have a house and an income property. Like, why wouldn't you do that? So it sparked a fire in me. And then I'm like, I want to, like, it's important for me to provide this data to anybody that'll listen to help change their, like, none of this stuff's taught in school. Yeah. 
And there wasn't like a whole lot about it. So that was the entire premises was to get it out to people to help them. And then the podcast, same thing. I was like talking to Gary and he struck a chord in me at that meeting. And he's like, this is the first time in human history that we can document this stuff and it lives on for eternity. Mm. And then he said to me, he goes, what would you give to hear a podcast from your great grandparents? Yeah. And it just, it, it leveled me like a truck. And I was like, anything. And then now I was very close to my grandparents and I would do anything to hear a podcast on how they met in World War II. I mean, yeah. I would give you a million dollars right now to hear that story. Because then I can share that with my kids and then my kids get to share it with their kids. So the podcast, yes, it's a business tool, but the foundational pillars is it's me archiving my life for future generations of my, you know, kin, or like just somebody who maybe has a similar story and a similar background to me. And I give them permission to just say like, who cares what anybody thinks and go for it. Yep. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, I had a similar interaction where I was at a conference I'd been invited to and the gentleman just asked the question, he goes, who here can list off of every great grandparent that you've had? And I said, man, all my great grandparents were dead when I was born. So like, I, I don't know any of them. And the gentleman just said, and that's how quickly your legacy is over, right? Uh, I mean, it, it just, it, it's over. No one knows who you are anymore. That next generation never even learned. And so I love the spirit behind what you're doing because yeah, hey, someday, you know, when I have great, great grandkids, they're going to be able to know who was Andy and what was he doing? Uh, yeah, for forever. <laughs> like yeah. I can, I can literally get to the, I mean, how cool would it be if your great, 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 probably great now grandfather was Rockefeller right. and you can like hear I mean there's a couple sound bites of him but not much yeah you know so like and I feel a deep responsibility now because it's such ease you yeah. know it's going to live on these streaming platforms and even if it gets beamed up to some other planet like big deal like we have it yep I love it well, Andy, are there any, you know, other pivotal moments that we haven't highlighted today that you want to make sure to talk about um, just that I've helped or, you know, we're really you know important on how you've gotten to where you're at? Sure. I would say the biggest one by far is what I do in the morning when I wake up and the evening before I go to bed. Yeah. A lot of people get that twisted and it's, it, it needs to be selfish time. Like that needs to be your time. Hmm. And I mean, I've been going strong for five years now, but it dramatically changed my life. And just a couple of things I'll share with your audience yes. that, are, that are really easy and don't cost any money um, is like for me, the first thing I do when I wake up is I literally just sit in a 10 minute meditation. Mm. I'm just clearing my mind. My body's waking up. Sometimes it's three in the morning, four in the morning, sometime around there. I get very clear. So I, I start to kind of like massage my brain a little bit right and i and then i kind of get that going and then i'll usually slide into like some kind of prayer or like some kind of mantra of some kind and then i sit in gratitude for five minutes and i just think about the things i'm grateful for i'm laying in bed i'm not like have these like you know necklaces and crystals i'm like i'm just in bed in myself with my soul you know what i mean and i'm just i'm so grateful for these opportunities i'm I'm so grateful for just, just whatever comes in. I'm just this open conduit, right, for that, that pure energy. And then I start to kind of wake up a little bit. I usually stretch. 
um, usually do some push-ups, some sit-ups. I'll just kind of get the blood moving in my body. And then my kids wake up and I get to spend an hour and a half to two hours with them. They get up early like me every morning. Yeah. So it fills my heart. I get to fill that up with my kids and my family. And I have a fire and I make this amazing coffee with mushrooms and coconut oil. Like I make, it's a very sacred thing for me. And then I work out. I get my body fired up for the day. And so many people, the first thing they do is they grab this phone and they're at the mercy of their email. They're at the mercy of the world. Like I literally step into my day on my terms. Mm. Everything. When I decide I'm in my sauna, I'm like, you know, like I'm chilling. I just finished a workout. Okay. Now I'm ready to check email. Right. And another big tip, especially for men, because I'm terrible at this is when you get home and you're with family or you're doing whatever, you turn that damn cell phone off for two hours, five to seven, six 30 or six to eight, whatever you let all your clients, your business partners, everybody know that's, that's your boundary box. Yep. And you're like, if we're not losing millions of dollars, you can't even get a hold of me. You got to come to my house. Yep. It shows your children. It shows your wife. It shows everybody, including those investors, including your clients, where your priorities lie. And most of them will wildly respect you for that. The ones that don't, get them out of your life. And then same at night. I put my kids to bed with my wife. It's like, like you know, family time. And they're still young. So it's like, like you know, showers and baths and yeah. toothbrush and all that stuff. But that's that special time that you only get for a short time as parents. Yep. And, you know, then I can talk to my wife about business and her business and whatever. And then I'm like literally lighting candles and I'm journaling a little bit. And I'm out. I control my day because I know in the middle of it, the meat and potatoes, the 10 to four, I can say I'm controlling it all I want. But it's a fire drill every day. <laughs> that's right. Oh, I love it. Well, Andy, I want to say thanks so much for you sharing your story. I mean, from growing up to buying buying that surf suit to firefighter, sommelier, restaurant owner, real estate, (laughs) partnerships, author, podcast. I mean, you've done it all. I I just anticipate that we're going to do this again in three years or five years. And uh, you'll still have the real estate, but you'll probably have something entirely new that you're doing as well. And uh, just excited to watch your journey, brother. 100%, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Great chat.